day, everybody, and welcome to this FS Club seminar. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Michael Minelli, and it's my delight to be hosting today's seminar on a topic which is uh, quite uh, emotional for me, one I can get uh, extremely interested in. Uh, uh, we have here today Dr. Paul Taffender, who is not going to be talking about his last book, uh, which is here on the cover, uh, but might be talking about his uh, current book. Uh, but he's here to chat to us really about something much more important and deeper uh, than anything on paper, really purpose, purpose loss, purpose regained, leadership in financial services post-COVID-19. Uh, we'll be making a, a number of remarks, and I must say Paul and I uh, co-authored a short note in April, and uh, Paul has also written a couple of more notes uh, on the pamphleteers about this subject, and I'll let him uh, cover all of that. But if I might uh, explain that we, uh, at at CN are really delighted to be able to host a, a wide series of webinars like this, including those that are sometimes critical of the industries in which we work. Uh, FS Club spans technology uh, through uh, areas of finance and on to areas with social purpose. And these are many and generous sponsors permit us to range widely and freely on, on a whole variety of subjects. Now, today's agenda is fairly straightforward. My job is to get out of your way and let Paul get his message over to you. We will, as ever, have 15 to 20 minutes uh, for questions and answers. And I think today's topic could be, in fact, quite a challenging one for those of us in the financial services industry, because basically Paul is questioning uh, whether we've lost our way, if we've lost it for some time, and if we've lost it for some time and haven't done anything about it, when might we ever? Now, I've known Paul for 30 years, uh, and his biography is on the website, and therefore I don't propose to read all of that to you. I just propose to hand the floor over to you. Paul, it's yours. Thank you, Michael. Um, I love that photograph, by the way, because it's, it's me with some um, shorter hair. I'm thinking of getting a ponytail now because I haven't been able to get out at all to get a haircut for a long time. Um, yeah, this is um, a very important topic for me. I mean, Michael himself has said that he gets quite passionate about it. I think I do too, and it, it's something that we've debated in the last six months or so. Um, and I, I guess the question is, is financial services on the front foot in terms of helping businesses and society at another critical time globally? And we had the 2000, 2007 crash, and we've had COVID now, which is turning into another financial Crisis may be worse than the previous. We don't know yet. And part of that is about what is the purpose of financial services? Um, if we go on to the next slide, please, Michael. Uh, just some points I wanted to raise on that about um, for my thinking. I mean, this is my latest latest book, Leadership Crash Course. And, and in it, um, I talk about leadership, not wholly focused on financial services, but across the industry. And, and one of the things that comes up again and again, and I, I was looking at this in the last few months, um, as I thought about it. And one of the things that comes up time and again is this idea of purpose in that um, leaders cannot function effectively unless they have a very clearly articulated purpose for themselves and mainly for the organization. And so purpose becomes critical. Uh, this book will come out uh, next week in, in all formats. So you can get it as, as digital ebooks or as, as a, a print copy. Um, and incidentally, uh, one of the focuses of this book is around operating in, in, a, in the digital world. And so it's quite relevant, I think, at this particular time. If we move on, Michael, let's we'll just get to the, the heart of all this. If you go back to the, um, 
the 1990s, this, this concept of value-based management um, appeared and um, basically taking the position that decisions in business must, must be made with a view to driving total shareholder value. Um, and in particular, Sir Brian Pittman at, at Lloyd's Bank was, was a keen proponent of this. And it worked. I mean, it's a good discipline to have because it does drive um, good discipline around particular decisions which help in, in, in returns to shareholders. The problem is that it seems to me, as I look back over the last 25 years or so, that uh, it's become the kind of substitute purpose for financial services in particular. And if you look at some of the issues that financial uh, services leaders have, which are listed on this page, um, it starts to become, I think, um, much more apposite and, and one of the things that we have to look at if we work in financial services. Um, first of all, because you know, value-based management and this, this notion that, that one is only in, in the financial services business at an unconscious level at any rate to deliver returns to shareholders rather than to the customer, um, doesn't get anyone out of bed in the morning. Um, so it's not very motivating for people in the industry. Um, and it may be something that, as I say, has become an unconscious norm. It's just the way we do things now. Secondly, it's you know, study after study and media reports and so forth have, have revealed that, that the public really have a perception that financial services is more unethical than other sectors of business. Now, whether that's true or not, it's certainly a very strong perception. And of course, you know, the higher levels of trust that are needed, I think, in financial services um, that are expected in financial services is often going to get in the way as well, that, that people expect it. And then a final point, I guess, is, is this idea that, that legal behavior is not always moral behavior. And so in a very highly regulated in industry, um, the idea of compliance is very important. I've been an executive in a business myself, and the notion of compliance you know, comes to dominate uh, right across an organization. And I just wonder whether in itself that, although it's necessary, it also creates a mindset in, in, in the industry, um, particularly on the back of too big to fail notions in financial services companies, um, that you don't actually have to have an adherence to a moral set of, of behavior and actions. It's enough to comply. And so I think a number of, of challenges here. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that, that you know, there should be interventions by government to sort all this out. I think it's probably too much regulation. But there does need to be a set of questions asked which help us, I think, to navigate these, these difficult waters. If we, if we move on, Michael, please. Um, <clears throat> the kind of questions that, that, that I'm interested in are, are the ones we have here. So numbers one to five. Um, and they appear a lot. Um, if you are seriously thinking about why you are in business. Um, and so for financial services, I just wonder whether financial services leaders uh, right across the industry have asked these questions recently and really understand them. And we'll see some examples later on in this in this session about um, which organization, organizations are trying to do something about this and which have succeeded and, and which aren't perhaps. And asking these fundamental questions about whom we serve, why should they come to us, or is our purpose actually fit for purpose? We may have a purpose, but does it actually mean anything in the context in which we we operate? And I'm, I'm not just talking about corporate social responsibility here. I'm talking about something much more fundamental about why the business actually exists. And it probably comes down to this question or the statement posed by Peter Drucker, the great management thinker from the 
70s and 80s into the 90s, the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer. I think if more of our financial services um, businesses had that in mind and were really thinking about that in a serious way, I think we'd have fewer of the regulatory problems and fewer of the problems of perception in the industry. So I think it is really, really important. And it's a fundamental underlying set of questions, which I think we, we have to probably start to think about in a, in a, in a different way. Um, if you look at banking and some of the issues that have been in, we've had in banking and certainly what the insurance sector is now going through with business interruption, my contention is that it, it is not very plain that, that financial services is on the front foot. Individual institutions are trying to do certain types of things, but they're not covering themselves in glory, I don't think, and could have been better prepared for this crisis. Go on to the next slide, please, Mike. So here are some um, examples of, of um, some terms and definitions in this whole area, what I call purpose, vision, and values. Uh, some examples of, of um, institutions and how they enact this. And so if you look at purpose for a starter, as opposed to vision or aspiration or something else, purpose is about what is defined there is consistent identity that transcends product or market cycles. It's, it's over and beyond technological breakthroughs, management fairs, individual leaders. Um, and that is really, really important. It's not something that I think a lot of leaders think about. I think they think that, that the organizational purpose is, is, is something that uh, we could actually you know, look at all the time or it could change and it doesn't really make a difference, but it does. And I think if you look at on the right-hand side, there are some examples. You've got uh, Google, we organize the world's information. And I think they are geared towards that purpose, their whole organization. Um, and I, I love the one from Disney to make people happy. I think if you look at Disney and look at how they operate, um, they are geared towards this notion, this purpose of making people happy through everything they do, through their, their parks, through the movies they make, um, through information they, they feed out through um, their channels and so forth. And uh, it's a test, I guess, for the financial services sector, whether we are, are, are have got to grips with this and are starting to um, get this right from, from where we were maybe 30 or 40 years ago to this interregnum, if you like, of the last 25 or 30 years. And I put down the Lloyds Banking Group um, purpose there to help Britain prosper. So question mark, is that what Lloyds Banking Group is doing? Um, I don't know. Um, it's their purpose, and maybe it is something that will we'll, um, come to light as, as being something that they have enacted and is, is working. But again, question mark. The other two things on this page about vision, I think you know, most people will, will have a good understanding of but basically the vision or the or the aspiration of a business is what you want it to look like in five or seven years time so it's often described in strategic terms um, it's something you can measure and you can get a view on and say well if we've achieved these things by this date we will have achieved our, our vision and of course values are really the behaviors that we want to see in the in the organization to help us to achieve our purpose and they should actually, beyond motherhood and apple pie, beyond the happy clappy stuff that sometimes cultural values become, they should be a genuine guide about the things that you do or don't do that guide people. And I, again, I, I worry that in financial services, it's, 
it's compliance that guides people and not the values of the organization. These two things are often at odds. And I think we need to try to bring them closer together to make sure that values do drive the organization towards the purpose that it is setting for itself. Michael, if we go on to the next slide. A way to um, test this in a way, I think, is, is, is this model here, which I've used many times with, with executive teams. Um, and it's to ask from time to time, and I think in particular at this time with, with COVID-19 and, and all its implications, um, have we got the underlying business model right? And you'll, you'll see that what this business model aims to do is not to focus on strategy, it aims to focus on the business model and therefore the outcome, the end. I think too much, certainly my experience in organizations, is about focusing on inputs and the means, but not necessarily on the outcome, the end, what we're trying to achieve. And Indeed, I, I suspect that if you look at most financial services sector organizations, they are probably focused on um, that blue box on the on the left hand side delivery because of the pressure that financial services companies are under around competitive threats. This whole digital thing which has come in the last you know, five or, or six years. How do we best deliver our product or service given the kind of competitive pressures that we're under? And I think that is probably distracting financial services firms from the red spheres that I think are, are the really important uh, issues that, that uh, financial services firms need to get to grips with. Um, why should customers buy from those and who are our customers? And then what do we produce or market? And I, I think we'll get on a bit later to, to um, an anecdote that, that Michael related to me, which appears in, in, um, in the, the latest pamphlet that, that I wrote for, for Zien. And I think it's very, very salutary, I think, that, that particular lesson, because I think it is very relevant to, to those red um, bubbles, that, and it's, it's the area that, that um, organizations need to focus on. We move on, Michael. How do we how do we test out um, whether we have a great purpose? How do we test out whether we have a vision? How do we understand whether we've got the right set of values? And these are some um, very simple evaluation tests. Um, so a great purpose, as you see there, will be a reflection of the contribution across multiple internal and external shareholders, stakeholders. And critically, it's a timeless description of purpose, not a current description of our, our activities. And I think very often you find businesses get stuck in this, well, our purpose is what we do now, or we just tweak it slightly. It should also be emotionally engaging across all levels of the organization. And, and so for me, the way you test that is described on the right-hand side there. So the five whys test. So if you ask the question of executives, why are we in business? If you ask them individually, you'll probably find as many why the answers to that why question as there are executives. And I've tried this a few times in different businesses, and it is often the case that that happens. You don't get a lot of alignment. And that that is worrying, I think. And then the other test is this 50-year test. Would this same purpose have applied 50 years ago? If you look, think about the Disney one, to make people happy, I think it certainly would have done. And the other part of that, that test is, can you see why this would not apply in 50 years' time? And so I think that timelessness of, of purpose is really, really important as we go through a, a very significant and difficult struggle at the moment. 
And then stepping down one stage, you get a great vision will be more than a measurable target. It's a vivid description of success in five, six, seven years time. Um, it's also challenging. It creates opportunities and it's probably audacious, but it is attainable. Um, it is growth focused. It has a commercial edge and it's about industry leadership. And I suppose all of those things are really quite challenging, as, as Michael said at the, at the top of this, this um, discussion, quite challenging for the industry. And so we could describe it in shareholder terms, shareholder return terms, or we could describe it in goal terms, and we could have that unconscious bias, but we need, I think, to do more than that for, for the financial services businesses we're in. And finally, the great set of values, as, as I said earlier, you know, these are cultural behaviors. Um, they are historically sensitive to what has gone before, and they are specific to the business, and they are about guiding people on what you should and shouldn't do, as opposed to simply complying. And so the tests you see here about, would I pursue this course of action or would I not pursue it, given a trade-off between this option and that option, or between three different options. And I certainly have seen in, in, in many financial services business that, that it often comes down to whether this would drive value to the organization or whether it reduces cost, not necessarily whether it's focused on customer. I think customer is certainly something that is discussed a lot in organizations, but it is down the list. It is third or fourth in often, I think, in organizations at executive committee level. And then there's a, there's a final um, description of the whole purpose, vision, values, um, uh, arrangement, if you like, um, that it, it compels people and it feels like it is it is universal as a test for, for people that you know, no one in the company could say, well, I wouldn't identify with this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I just wonder again whether in financial services we have managed to achieve that um, in the individual set of organizations that are, operate right across the globe or whether we are, are failing in that and, and we don't have it as best as we can in comparison to other sectors. So if we move on, Michael, to the next um, slide. Uh, on this one, um, just some ex examples here. We've got some challenger banks here. We've got some of the um, the old institutions. Um, and yeah, I'd be interested in your views on, on this. But if you take Starling Bank, you know, a, a challenger bank, this is their purpose, uh, built to give people a fairer, smarter, and more human alternative to the banks of the past. And you can see that they have um, wrestled with that and they've, they've come up with something which I think they think uh, works well. But you know, does it stand the test of those tests we, we had on the previous page? And I think part of the problem with it is, is that it is very current and it's going to um, become out of date um, in, in short order. So there's a challenge there, I think, for, for Starling. Monzo, Monzo makes money work for everyone. Again, I, you know, I, I know that um, Tom Blomfield, the CEO at Monzo, has again wrestled with this. They're keen to have a purpose which, which matters. But you can see, I think it, it, it kind of it kind of has that that current feel again. Um, it might work, but it's not as explicit maybe as, as as it could be. And then the interesting one here is RBS, which has been through a traumatic time over the last 10, 12 years, bailed out as we know. But what Alison Rose is doing there is, is is explicitly about what they call building a purpose-led bank, which I think is very interesting. And I think gives me cause for um, optimism in in, uh, in the banking sector. 
and theirs is to champion potential helping people, families and businesses to thrive. Yes, I think that's that's relevant in the past and it's certainly relevant in the future. The question, of course, is whether you can move from purpose to vision to values and then to engagement with people and action on the ground so that people are living this. And that, of course, is the wider and bigger question, which is really fundamental to the financial services sector or any business for that matter. We've got one here from from Alliance. We secure your future. They expand that a little, as you see in the brackets there, uh, to secure people's lives and to give courage to our customers for what's ahead. That's fine too, I think. But um, again, does it really test out, given the current environment and given some of the challenges around business interruption um, that we've seen in the insurance sector? I wonder whether that and others that we find in the insurance sector are really whether they're living up to um, the purpose that they're setting for themselves. And then the final one, Bank of America, which I really don't understand, help make financial life better through the power of every, every connection. I'm not sure what that means. And so I think if you look at some of those, and that's just a, a, a small a smattering, if you like, of um, purposes that have been defined um, in the financial services sector, I guess the question I ask is, is this something that, that we need to get better at, or are we still operating across the sector with either outmoded purposes or hidden purposes that we hadn't, haven't actually got to grips with and that are driving our businesses to operate in particular ways. I've laid it at the feet of, of value-based management, which I think is a good discipline, as I said, but could be operating at an unconscious level throughout the sector because of competition as a substitute purpose. And so I really think we need to, we need to challenge this point. Next slide. Uh, Please, Michael. Um, this leads us to, to a question really at two levels, um, at the industry level and at the uh, institutional level. And the idea behind, behind this um, partly ex- expanded, I think, in a, in a conversation that Michael and I had. And, and, and Michael referred to, a, to an anecdote, which I'm going to read, actually. It's from the pamphlet, but it's worth reading because I think it does make the point. And, uh, and I put it in the pamphlet because I thought it was a good one. And, uh, the way it runs is this. During the financial crises in 2009, a BBC news team stopped a young banker on Finsbury Square and asked him to address Adair Turner's rhetorical question, isn't banking socially useless? The young fellow was flummoxed, shrugged his shoulders and slunk away. So how terrible is this to go to work each day with no social purpose? I would hope that people in finance could explain to those outside why finance is socially useful, facilitating trade and commerce, providing social protection, promoting financial stability. Finance helps us make much better choices using society's great decision-making mechanism, the monetary system. And so that question of is it socially useful or is it socially useless, I think is fundamental to what we're discussing here. And I think we, we do need to challenge at the institutional level and we do need to challenge, I think, at the industry level. So if you move on to the uh, the next slide, please, Michael. Now, these are the slides, really, that I wanted to, the, the questions, really, I, want, I wanted to put up for discussion today. If, if it suits people, if people are interested, um, it's these two big questions with some subsidiary questions under question number one. 
So to what extent have individual financial services institutions focused sufficiently on their purpose? And to, to, point, to that point, have leaders got it right? Do they have a purpose which drives what should happen in the business at, at a behavioral level from the executive committee down to the credit committees or down to um, underwriting decision making? You know, all of that has to work in alignment. The second point is, will financial services firms be seen after COVID-19 has, has gone away, if it goes away in the next uh, year or so, will they be seen as more ethical and more interested in social protection and promoting financial stability? Or will they just be seen the same? And we have an opportunity, in other words. Second, how far does formal organizational purpose cascade? Which is the point I raised just now. Or is it ignored in favor of informal purpose? And I think this is one of the dangers in, in institutions that you have strategy formal strategy, and then you have informal strategy. And in this case, I think we're talking about informal purpose. And a final quite provocative question, to what extent are self-interest, greed, legalistic behavior, and lack of individual responsibility uniquely problematic in financial services? So that's at the individual level. And then I think at an, at an industry level, um, to what extent would an industry-led initiative to reinvigorate purpose, vision, and values, be A, desirable, and, and B, would it be workable? Thank you. Well, that is a fairly rich uh, set of topics for discussion, and you've left us with adequate time to do so. So thank you so much, Paul. Uh, very, very good, uh, very succinct, very pointed. Uh, we've got uh, 50 people online, a little bit more. And so there are already quite a few questions. So, folks, if you want to uh, kick into the conversation, uh, please don't save it for uh, uh, one minute before the end. So uh, do, do use the question facility. Um, I've had one question uh, specifically about slides. As ever, these slides will be shared on, on the site. Anytime we get permission, we do. And Paul has given us permission. So uh, to get cracking, Paul, uh, there's an interesting tension here to some degree. Uh, a lot of the socially useful stuff also gets wound up with financial services as a utility. So the idea that, well, everybody should have, have access to this in the same way that we have electricity uh, or we have water. And this means to some degree, your ability to direct your own purpose is constrained. Uh, in fact, I was looking at your questions. I thought one of the best ones on purpose is, is almost, would your customer recognize it? So, you know, the Disney one is great. I, I go to Disney World to be happy. I watch a Disney film to be happy or make my children happy or something about happy. I, I get it. Um, and the Bank of America example you gave was clearly, I don't even know what they were trying to say. So so we've got that. Uh, so Bob McDowell is out in the Channel Islands and thinks uh, widely on these things, having been in the industry for ages, says, has financial services drifted too close to government such that it is becoming a tool of government policy? Uh, COVID-19 has certainly brought that relationship into focus. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I, I suppose you could argue, yes, it has, because a lot of banks, certainly in this country, are owned by the government, or at least or have been owned by the government for a very long time. And uh, with the best will in the world, you can't imagine that um, there hasn't been some influence there, uh, much as they'd, they'd like to say the opposite. Um, so, yes, they've drifted close to government, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've drifted close to society. And I don't know whether that was kind of part of the implication of that question or not. Um, I think, you know, if you go back to the Victorian times, you know, the Victorians were, were, were great ones for, for creating social purpose. 
um, in a very different era with different different problems. But you know, they they kind of set themselves up um, to try to help uh, their employees or to try to help wider society when they could. Um, and it wasn't government driven. Um, so I think it's possible to do this, and we have examples from the past that that, that it's certainly possible. I'm not painting the Victorians as, as you know all wonderful people and everything they did was fantastic, but I think there are examples there of, of how you can actually do something which which is socially relevant and socially important. I mean, a question I suppose I pose is is this one, which is um, the banks, um, for example, are, are offering payment holidays, uh, but they're still going to charge interest on that payment holiday. They're not saying you know we, we will we will not charge any further interest for that period of time where you know three months at the moment I think it is in this country. We won't charge any extra interest. You know, for you to pay that back, we'll just make it a permanent block. That you, sorry, you know, those three months went by. We're trying to help you. End of story. They're still going to charge money. They're still going to make money at a time of of national and global crisis. And I I just wonder whether that's one of those trade off questions. You know, given this or that, should we try to help more than less? Um, so I don't know if that answers answers the question that was was posed. I I think yes. I think um, institutions are. Um, to some extent being driven by, by government, but that doesn't mean that necessarily being driven in a way which would help society. Uh, Paul, you've got a background, uh, at least partially, uh, in the insurance sector. Uh, do you want to explain how you think the business interruption issues might or should have been handled? I think part of this is, I think, down to wordings. I mean, you know, most insurance policies are, are about wordings, and so the problem with a lot of insurance policies is that customers don't read them. Um, even in business, they, they don't, you know, for, for commercial lines, they don't read their, their policy wordings very carefully. Um, and it's, I, you know, there are problems, the challenges that, that the insurance sector face, um, which have, you know, have arisen from not nowhere, like um, uh, not just business interruption, but maybe business interruption, which is driven by um, uh, all this, uh, you know, viruses and attacks online and so forth and, and insurance is trying to catch up with with a world that is changing fast and insurance is a very slow moving sector um, but i think on on business interruption it just strikes me that it, it's an industry that, that wasn't ready for another crisis um, and that worries me in terms of the level of uh, long-term strategic thinking that you're bound to come up with issues and, and challenges and crises that you you need to have at least the principles ready for in order to deal with them. Um, it may be legitimate. I know this is going to go to go to the courts for the courts to decide, and is there ready? But I just wonder whether um, this is something that, that they could have been prepared for and could have had a, a way of dealing with, because it's going to look bad, however it turns out. Okay. Um, another question here is, and you've got quite an international background, Paul. Is this really a global issue, or is it a bit more UK centric? Well, I I think it's a global issue, although you know things do change quite substantially across across the world. So I I spent quite a bit of time in Japan working with um, financial services institutions in Japan, and you know they they do see the world quite differently there. Um, they've got their own challenges, um, but I think it's probably it's probably global. I think a lot of uh, different um, institutions across the globe are, are faced with something similar. Um, yeah, it, ca can you point to any global um, initiatives which banks or 
insurance companies have set up um, as an industry to think about crises of the future and, and how to handle them. And I, I, I struggle a bit, I think, with that. I think it, is, it isn't something that, that um, they've necessarily taken initiative to do. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably more global. Um, maybe in this country, there's a, there's a much greater um, uh, desire to critique what, what has happened. Um, and maybe with um, government ownership of um, multiple banks, it's become you know, a hot potato. It's interesting, your, your 50 year remark uh, picked up a fair amount of traffic uh, that people liked it. And yet, uh, it did divide the audience as well. Uh, I'm going to read, if I might, something from Tristan Dennis, maybe to relate to the fourth point of the final questions uh, here. Our leaders may be setting their scopes too far at 50 years with all the topics such as digital transformation floating around. How do leaders strike the balance for being able to be agile enough to respond to agendas like COVID-19, which could be very short term and not deviate too far uh, from vision and goals set in a state of focus and planning? Oh, I think I think if you're talking strategy, and you're talking vision. All those things should be done in, in a in a in an agile way. But you still need to set in you know, a direction. We're talking purpose here, you know. And the, if the purpose of of Disney is to make people happy, well, you know, that's not going to change whether there's COVID nineteen or you know a financial crisis or anything else. And I, so I think I think that's very different. You're talking about something which is the, the the fundamental purpose of the organization. And you go back to you know Peter Drucker's comment. You know you're in the business of of finding customers and keeping customers. I think I think that is is really really important. So yes, you should focus on some of the short term things. That's what strategy is for. I, mean, I say short term. I mean in the next five to ten years. But purpose is critical and sits way above that and should direct strategy, vision, um, and tactics through the organisation ultimately. Um, continuing on this vein, this is your fourth point. To what extent are self-interest, greed, legalistic behavior, and lack of individual responsibility uniquely problematic in FS? Uh, Ian Harris is not uniquely problematic in financial services, in my opinion, but perception of financial services is tainted by scandals. Lack of trustworthiness is an issue. So is the complexity of the sector, which limits public understanding and also makes it hard to regulate and hard to bring miscreants to justice promptly. Do you see evidence of industry-led positive initiatives around financial literacy and financial inclusion? Those are positive things that might reinvigorate purpose, in my view. I think, no, I think there are. And I think, for example, I think in, in the insurance sector, you know, there's, there have been um, long been attempts to, to try to help um, customers to avoid risks that they could otherwise claim if, if they happened. Um, so there's, there's, there's certainly self-interest, but it's genuinely um, positive self-interest, I think, on behalf of, of, of insurers. You know, they're trying to help their customers to avoid problems. So, for example, yeah, particularly with, with new um, technologies as they, as they come into play, you know, you can, you can send a, a text or a, an email to your customers to say, you know, there's a storm coming in, you know, batten down the hatches. And that, that avoids um, the problems for the customer and avoids claims, of course. So I think um, institutions do do these kinds of things, um, and there is certainly you know positive intent out there amongst many. I, I suppose I think when, when I've seen organisations look at purpose and, and then try to deal with it, they, they often struggle with defining what their purpose is, 
as they question why they are in business and what they're trying to offer to their customers. They get something down, but it doesn't cascade down the organization because they don't change uh, the rules of behavior. They don't change the way to make decisions. And so I think um, if we saw more of that, it would be good. And you know, I think this is a, a really good, really good point. We do need, I think, more education of um, of customers. And frankly, we have um, at this time unique um, opportunities to do that because technology allows you to to be in contact with customers in a way that wasn't possible before. You'd have to tell people to come into you know the branch or something to to talk to them. Um, you can do that kind of thing if you can get their attention. The question is, you know, whether we can get their attention because um, there are so many different competing things that the people are interested in. Yeah, last week we had, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Duncan Sands from uh, Payments Twenty, um, a trade a, a trade alliance on international payments, and he made a particularly interesting point that he felt that technology was actually leading to uh, social or financial inclusion in developing economies, but was actually a uh, leading to uh, financial divisiveness or financial access divisiveness in advanced economies. So an interesting point there. And Max uh, has asked a question, which I, I normally like to think I could probably handle some of these questions. Uh, so I'm, I'm warning you, this could be an interesting one. Given the topic that you just discussed, what role will AI have in influencing financial services leaders in the next decade? No, that's that's uh, many layered. I think uh, you know any any advanced technology uh, usually gets um, positive looks around the executive committee table um, and and ask from um, executives for IT to explain to them what this will mean in the future. And of course, IT are, are usually um, the worst placed to actually answer that question because you know, they're used to doing these massive infrastructure, IT infrastructure projects which have nothing to do with AI and have nothing to do with very advanced technology. Um, I I would hope that AI can be used as a force for for good because it will provide much more information. I, I think the more information that the customers have about the decisions they're making, whether it's on banking or on loans or credit of, of any kind or on insurance or you know, big commercial decisions that the institutions might make through through uh, the help of investment banks. That having a lot of information which is processed um, uh, through new technology is is going to help uh, rather than hinder, and I, I think that's probably true of of, um, of history. That the more information people have, the, you know, the more likely they are to to get decisions right or to make better decisions. But at the same time, and one shouldn't one shouldn't forget that AI is just a tool, and AI at the moment is actually not very intelligent. It's, it's pretty stupid. Um, but it will help. Um, so I suspect that, that, that it, it could be used for, for the wrong purposes. When you think about all the information that, that um, institutions are gathering on us, you know, they are undoubtedly trying to you know, drive um, individuals towards making decisions which will suit them as businesses. Uh, you know, well, that will be a whole new area to, to regulate or to, uh, to look at more closely. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I, I don't think anthropomorphizing it helps. It, uh... Oh, my AI made me do it. I, I didn't really mean it. Uh, you know, um, hang on. It's a tool, as you said. <laughs> why, why are you either using the wrong tool or using it in, in, inappropriately or incorrectly is your is your problem. Right. Um, interesting one to hear. Uh, I'll call him Tim because it's a slightly sensitive question. Uh, but a listener out here is saying, 
Hearing about focusing on purpose is like music to my ears, having previously been in an organization which really couldn't figure out their purpose. That's why I'll leave it to Tim. Uh, what, what do you think is the best way for an organization to define their purpose? Or do you think it evolves and is shaped as an organization grows? Which I, I, I must say, I, I have a lot of sympathy. I've sat through yeah. endless mission, value, purpose sessions, which is, okay, we need one of these darn things. Let's, uh, let's sit down for two or three days and bash ourselves senseless until we have something and exhausted the mission crawls out. Or as Tim says, it, perhaps it evolves and is shaped. Yeah, and I think that point that that word evolves is a, is a really useful one. When I've done work like this, it's usually taken a year. Um, so I think your 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 point, Michael, about you know two three days, I think is, is a valid one. You, you, people don't have unlimited time, but but if you look at the the percentage of time that people in large institutions um, and medium sized institutions spend on questions of purpose and and indeed strategy, it is a tiny tiny proportion of time, and yet it's the thing that will drive. The direction of the business and the decision making throughout the business um, over the next five or ten years, and so I, I, I'm always disappointed at the amount of time that executives will spend on that. In fact, executive committee papers are usually dominated by tactical operational challenges. Now, it, undoubtedly, that's important, but the, it, it does seem that, that there are governance issues and institutionally uh, difficult organizational arrangements which make it impossible sometimes for for executive committees to to operate effectively on the big questions. They, they tend to focus on the small questions. It may be that those are the kind of people who end up rising to the top of organizations and, and therefore they are they are geared towards dealing with operational issues. Um, but the best way to do it, I think, is, is to take your time. Um, and I think, I think you know, that, that's not something that executive committees do easily. So when, when I said to clients of mine, uh, you know, this purpose, vision, value, strategy process is going to take you at least a year, they say, well, I'm sure we can do it in three months. And I said, well, it, it won't happen in three months. It, it's going to take longer because you need to do a lot of work in between the meetings you have with your executive committee or with, with uh, people in the organization for you to actually distill what matters, come to the right decisions, and then grow your, your purpose and your vision and your, your strategy over a period of time. So I, I really do take the point. I think it's a good insight about evolving this. Um, and, you know, a purpose like like Disney's, you know, they, they've they've got that set now, and so they don't need to worry about it too much. But they do need to worry about sticking to it. And it's very easy, I think, for organisations to have a purpose which just isn't live. It isn't it isn't lived by people in the organisation. Well, so Tristan also that, it takes time. I think it takes time. It yeah. Takes time. And Tristan points out, you know, that it's got to be authentic, or everybody sees straight through it. Um, got time really for uh, three quick questions if we push. Um, first one uh, is back to Bob McDowell. He says, uh, an interesting observation, I think, given one of your points is about complexity. Should financial services businesses restrain from being all things to all people and retreat to specialization as a step to becoming uh, more discreet, low-key businesses? Good point. I mean, it's interesting. I've been doing a bit of research on this. And if you look at some of the banks, for example, and they do seem to get quite confused because they have a different purpose, often formally stated for, for business lines, to personal lines. And you think, well, they might have um, different offerings and services, but is their purpose you know, genuinely different? And so mm. I, it, to me, it just, it just seems like they've got confused. Um, and so they need a different purpose for one and not for the other. Uh, so I, I think there's, I have some sympathy with the idea of... Um, having a very core 
very definite view about what you're trying to achieve and, and then sticking to it. I mean, you know, uh, to go back to Peter Drucker, I mean, he used to have the, make the point that, that no business unit should be more than 250 people because otherwise it just started to fall apart and started drifting into different directions. I mean, many business units are, you know, 10 times that size or 100 times that size. And so it, it's, a, it's a good test about whether you can actually keep operating in a distinct way uh, if you are all things to all people. Um, I remember uh, you know, a piece of research you did uh, quite some time ago when we were working together, and you concluded that if you didn't have a crisis, make a crisis, if you wanted to get something done, you know, so that it's there. Now, financial services has been through the mother of all crises, uh, and, and that's in the plural, uh, really from 2007, 8, 9, 10, uh, at that point, now going through along with everybody else, a huge economic crisis, but one in which they do play a core role, whether it's insurance or asset management or uh, or banks. I was on the phone today listening to uh, one of the asset managers of Bordermont explaining how, how much money we've lost. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot going out there. When, how do you generate a sense of crises uh, to get your purpose sorted out? All right, that's it, a good question. I, it, um, if you look back to one example, I'll give Philips um, produced some lots of electrical goods. Um, going back some time now, one of the ways the chief executive created a crisis there was he had the top 200 managers across the, the, the Philips world, you know, from right across the globe, for a meeting in, in uh, the Netherlands. And he had printed um, a mocked up Financial Times front page, which said, Phillips files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and then some copy in that saying why this had happened. And he said, all I'm doing is predicting the future based on the course we're taking currently. We need to sort ourselves out. Um, and for me, what, what creating a crisis does when you need to do that, if, if organizations are drifting, is you, you're trying to reach into the future and pull the future close so you can see it. Um, and not all people are very good at that. They tend to think about the next day or the next month this year sometimes, but, but but even executives can can get very tied into the tactical, and they they don't try to look into the future. Uh, and I guess this is uh, sort of a closing thought, which I love your remark upon your your final question here: To what extent would an industry-led initiative to reinvigorate purpose, vision, and values be a desirable and b workable? Uh, it's fairly clear from the, the audience reaction that a is something that. Uh, they would like, i.e., it is desirable. Um, I'm also, I, I'm just curious about workable. And, and I've got one point I'd like to make, which is that sustainable development goal 10, you know, the UN is basically saying, here are major crises in our uh, 17 sustainable development goals. And one of them, 10, is uh, to achieve financial inclusion. So even at that level, it's recognized as a major problem. Uh, and I'm very confused personally about the financial inclusion argument to some degree uh, because of Duncan Sands' remarks the other week, which echo mine that, well, actually, as I traveled in the third world, it's not that bad uh, in terms of inclusion. Now, they don't have money. That's a different that's a different thing as opposed to access. Uh, and yet we seem to have this problem here, as we've noticed in America, just getting the checks out to people or we've noticed in Britain, which is getting the loans out. So. Uh, how can we galvanize? Uh, how, how can we make it workable? Well, I think um, for anything to operate at an industry level, um, 
you have to be very careful it doesn't turn into a talking shop. I think it you, you have to have um, people who've got the energy to drive something like that. Um, I suspect it can't be done uh, by the industry on its own. It probably will need help. Um, and I suspect um, one has to try to get individual institutions to see what is common and then what is only for for them. Um, and then to, to really learn from, from, from that process, I, mean, I think the idea of, of uh, creating purpose is, is, n is a non-trivial exercise, and one shouldn't go into it in a way that is going to be trivializing, that you, know, you will end up with uh, motherhood and apple pie. But of course, you know, the financial services sector is, it, it solves problems all the time and has always done. I just don't see why it shouldn't be able to solve this particular problem if it faced it and thought about it seriously. Great. Paul, uh, absolutely excellent. I'm afraid we have run out of time, but uh, bear with me. I'll come back and thank you in a moment if I may. Uh, but first, uh, I really would like to thank, uh, as all of us uh, uh, radio show host wannabes must, <laughs> our sponsors. Uh, but quite seriously, thank you so much. Uh, many of you are in financial services, so uh, this is a bit of a sobering bit of uh, cold water to some degree, but one that we must all think about. And many of you are in technology, uh, providing it to financial services. So we've all got a role here uh, that uh, I think is extremely important. And I just don't know, Paul, how we can get our backs to the wall to finally get this done after after what has uh, been an achingly long decade and more where we've failed to do so. Um, I'd also like to thank you, the audience. It's always good to have you out there. Thanks very much for some insightful questions there. Uh, as ever, we've got some uh, webinars coming up. Uh, so tomorrow, Karina Robinson, who's the Master Worshipable Company of International Bankers, will be talking about global trends and city effects. And uh, I hope to put some of these questions about purpose to her. Uh, we have a fascinating bit of what's going on in Central Asia, green finance along the Belt Road uh, with uh, the Nur Sultan uh, Astana International Financial Center, a fireside chat with Ripple, uh, on Thursday. And finally, on Friday, uh, Alan Hughes is going to be dialing in from Dublin, talking to us about the increasingly accelerated world of online telemedicine, telepsychiatry. So a lot more happening. But uh, Paul, uh, thank you. Uh, thank re really, it's a tough topic, this one. Uh, and it's one that everybody picks up and puts to the side. And I, I thank you so much uh, for picking it up and putting it back in the center. Uh, I'm afraid that with the audience out there, I can only offer you a virtual uh, round of applause. Uh, but my wife, Elizabeth, said to me, I want to do something a little bit louder than my hand clap. So I brought my uh, fascinating gong. Very good. Uh, That's very impressive. Uh, thank you, Michael. <laughs> and I'd like to say thank you, Paul. It's been a real delight to have you on. And I hope I hope you do make progress. And I would encourage anybody out there who, who feels that they would like uh, their organization to move forward contact Paul because he is clearly trying to assemble a critical mass of people yeah. prepared to address this issue. Um, and I, I would hope that the industry can do it on its own. Yeah. Uh, waiting for initiatives like the Banking Standards Board and all has been, in my opinion, uh, deferring uh, to somebody else your own problem about your own existence. So let's get cracking. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all.